0: On the record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at 11.
1: Brought to you by PWC, a dedicated private business team built around you. It all adds up to the new equation
0: on News Talk.
1: You will have heard earlier in this hour, I spoke to Paul Brandis from West Wing Reports about the old Donald Trump saga. Now, uh, we heard in that that the lines between political fact and fiction are more blurred than ever before. So just in case the weather turns bad again, we wanted to try and give you some refuge in the world of entertainment and look at some of the standout examples of political comedy and drama in film and on television. And I'm joined now to do just that by Brian Lloyd, who's Movies Editor at Entertainment.ie. Brian, you're very welcome. How you doing? Now, uh, I'm going to start with a clip. Go on. We'll start with this. Any pugilist worth his salt knows when someone's on the ropes. That's when you throw a combination to the gut and a left hook to the jaw. In Gaffney, we had our own brand of diplomacy. Shake with your right hand, but hold a rock in your left. The road to power is paved with hypocrisy and casualties. Brian, just the music mm. alone there, it kind of captures
0: it. it, does, it?
1: Yeah. The House of Cards, uh, first on BBC, then on Netflix. Just tell us if you haven't seen this before, what are you looking at?
0: Well, I suppose the most kind of Machiavellian version of politics uh, imaginable, like when it was done by Ian Richardson in BBC when he was playing Francis Urquhart, it was almost done like a kind of a Shakespearean tragedy, like the sort of asides that he gives straight to camera are almost like soliloquies. But Then when Kevin Spacey did it, it was a lot more slick, it was a lot more kind of manoeuvred, it was a lot more kind of high-brow, if you like. Um But, I mean, they're essentially the same thing. It's just, you know, a political operator trying to scheme his way to the top and then using increasingly dark and evil methods to get get his way. Um... I will say the final season of House of Cards and Netflix went flying off the edge. I mean, a lot of that was due to the controversies surrounding Kevin Spacey and he was removed from the f- that series, understandably. So I do think, though, I mean, and this has been a kind of recurrent thing with a lot of kind of political dramas and thrillers of late, is that the likes of Donald Trump has now made satire un- untenable. Like, it's impossible it's to... More, it's more fantastic
1: what's happening exactly. in real life. Yeah. yeah,
0: exactly. So, like, how can you possibly kind of... I don't know, comment on it or satirize it when it's beyond satire, you know? And I think House of Cards was one of the first kind of political shows to actually really come up against that. Like, you know, you saw Francis Underwood doing all sorts of terrible things. And it's like, well, Donald Trump has done just that, if not worse. I mean, he literally had... It staged an yeah. armed insurrection, like so like. There's that
1: there's if, that phrase in, in TV, isn't there? Jumping the shark Yeah, scenes are no longer credible, but there's nowhere to go with that exactly. now in American politics. Just want to ask you a question about BBC versus the Netflix yeah. thing. Um because BBC often stop they do, um, don't they? Their political stuff or their comedy stuff. They seem to get that right where others get it wrong. I just because you mentioned the last series kind of went off a cliff edge in the, on the Netflix one.
0: And I th- I think, yeah, that's it. I think the, one thing I will say about like generally about BBC shows is that they know when to pull, pull the plug on it because it's a thing of leave them on high, leave them wanting. And the ending of the BBC House of Cards is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, it's brilliant. brilliant. I mean. If they had written something like that for the Netflix show, that would have been the way to end it.
1: So pick one if you're this weekend, you're telling someone, watch this, which is at the BBC. The or BBC one, definitely. definitely yeah, BBC. Ian
0: Richardson is brilliant at it.
1: OK, we're going to take another clip now. And um, yeah, let's just hear the next one. Well, quite honestly, Minister, I want a job where I don't spend endless hours circulating information that isn't relevant about subjects that don't matter to people who aren't interested. <laughs> job where there's achievement rather than merely activity. I'm tired of pushing paper. I want to be able to point to something and say, I did that.
0: I don't <laughs> understand.
1: I know. That's why I'm leaving. <laughs> Surely you're not saying that the government of Britain is unimportant. No, it's very important. It's just that I haven't met anyone who's doing it. <laughs> Now, Brian, that was, of course, Yes Minister. I should say how we came up with these is you came up with a list and mm. then I looked and we found a, an area of commonality. I could kill you for putting this one on. Really? I just Well, I just, I just said I would watch one episode last night and I was six episodes in before I stopped. This is just a classic. Isn't, isn't it? it? And I was
0: going to say that must be a bit of a throwback for you hearing something like that. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I mean, that's the thing is that I think a lot of these shows have an element of cynicism about them, which I think is how kind of, With the exception of one, with the exception of the West Wing, a lot of them do have a kind of a cynical edge to them, because I think that's how audiences view politics, generally speaking. And I think Yes Minister, like the thick of it, had that edge of like, everyone knows this is a load of you-know-what, everyone knows this is a load of BS, but we're all just trying to shuffle paper around the place and make the best of it. And Nigel Hawthorne as well, because he's so erudite, because he's so kind of... Clever and and witty, and all the rest of it, it becomes entertaining. And then the politician that he's shepherding around the place is a complete dunce. So you have Derek Folds in the middle of it, who's just trying to, you and know. The
1: acting is incredible. Those little looks of camera.
0: Yeah, just a little kind of a sight. And again, that was ever a precursor to the likes of The Office, you know, that idea of like the kind of fly in the wall comedy. So. Yeah, but I mean, yes, Minister and yes, Prime Minister are terrific stuff. And again, even though they've aged somewhat, like, I mean, there's a lot of stuff about, like, I don't know, the gold standard and North Sea oil exploration. Like, it might have aged the politics of it, but the actual comedy of it is still very, very relevant.
1: Absolutely. And it was funny watching some of those episodes, how relevant some of the issues still are. But for me, having worked in government for for 10 years, uh, what it really did capture was the wiliness of the civil yes. service and the permanent government, you know, um, and that this notion that, they're going to be there for the long haul. They're survivors.
0: They're that's survivors. it. It's yeah, brilliant. that's it. They're just like, they're dug in. They are survivors like, yeah. and they just know how to, and again, The Thick of It does that and I love The Thick of It and th- that does that as well where it's like, they're just, wh- it doesn't matter if it's a left-wing party a right-wing party, centrist party, whatever, they're just going to have to go with the tide. Yeah. And you can see some of them, they do that in The Thick of It very well where some of them do have more loyalty to the last party than to the current party and yeah. all the rest of it. So.
1: And I guess what's running through all of these really is that the cutthroat nature of politics is one thing, but it is just business that, yeah. that, and that, it's very much just business. Um, they just get on with it. Um, the other thing I liked about Yes Prime Minister is, it, and it does this very well, it shows the progression of somebody from a backbench into a ministry and then their ambitions never stop because of course he wants to be Prime Minister in mm. the end.
0: Yeah, and I, as well, I think like in the early kind of episodes of that, you could really see that he was a bit of a deer in headlights, you know, that sort of way that he really didn't. He was kind of out of his depth, but then slowly kind of getting, the, getting to grips with it and eventually surpassing uh, Nigel Hawthorne's character as well, which again, makes it even more kind of upsetting in a way. Like that's one thing that those BBC comedy shows did so well was that they had tragedy and comedy in perfect balance, I think.
1: Absolutely. And speaking of tragedy and comedy and balance, let's take a listen to this. I mean, all that dark arts and spinning, that's yes Malcolm, that's not, you know, that's not me anymore, am I? I like the new me. I mean, I feel 20 years younger. And you look it, you look 20 years younger. Do I? Mm. You're looking great yourself, you know, at the moment. That colour really, really suits you. It's very, very attractive. Christ, is he dying or something?
0: I don't know. Fair play to you for finding the clip of the thick of it and Malcolm Tucker without cursing. By the way, uh, well done.
1: That's exactly what John Byrne was telling me earlier. He had to go through a lot before he found yeah. one with no profanities. But of course, we can't talk about politics on screen without discussing the contribution of Armando Iannucci. Mm. He's been at the heart of some of the funniest. But this is the thick of it. This is my favorite. This is. is the one that shows the kind of complete dysfunction that actually happens behind the scenes. Why do you like it?
0: I love the fact that it's the pettiness. It's just. It's not you know national politics. It's office politics. It's on such a kind of minuscule level and everyone's kind of sniping at each other and I mean I, I mean, I've never worked in politics, but I would imagine there's probably a lot of a lot of truth in it, and you're kind of nodding that your head. No and, in there's the no West truth There's no truth all yeah. I knew that, but, um, but yeah, like the pettiness of it, I think, is what makes it so interesting, like and so funny as well. The and also
1: fa- the the sometimes from the outside, politics looks like it's very Machiavellian and everything is structured and there's a big design and everything. Sometimes stuff's just happening in the background by accident.
0: Yeah, and everyone's panicking and trying to get the trying to put on a straight face and they're going out in front of cameras and given a very kind of layered and deep speech, when reality has been scribbled down on a piece of paper five minutes before they walked out and everyone's panicking and all the rest. <laughs> that's of. exactly yeah. it.
1: Now, I know you want to talk about the Battle of Algiers. Yes. Tell us about that. That's not one, one that I was
0: familiar with. Yeah. So this is a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant film. This was released in 1966. This was actually, if we're talking about political films, this is a film that actually had serious, real political impact. And um, it was commissioned by the Algerian government. Um, it tells the story of the Battle of Algiers, which was essentially this urban guerrilla campaign that was fought um, on the streets uh, against the French army and the Algerian independence movement. And when I said political impact, I mean, this has been cited in the Panther 21 trial, which was this trial of um, Black Panther members. Um, Tupac Shakur's mother was on trial for it as well. This I, th- I think it was nineteen seventy. Um, but the, the defence uh, screened the film in the middle of the trial to show it to the jury. And what they were saying was was that the Battle of Algiers was used as a training manual by the Black Panthers and all the rest of it. But what it actually did was it had the complete opposite effect. The jury watched it, then saw the kind of the, the tactics, if you like, that the colonialist uh, forces were using and then realised that the police force. The so police it coloured
1: their thinking. Completely. On yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. it actually turned them against the prosecution, if you like. And they actually said, no, wait, this is actually what it's really like. And then eventually the Panther 21 trial was uh, they were all acquitted. And one of the jurors was interviewed, I think, by The New York Times afterwards. And he specifically said the Battle of Algiers was what changed it. I mean, uh, Andreas Bader of the Red Army Faction in Germany called it his favourite film. Um, and you watch it today, you're like it's still a very, very, you know, intense, dark film. You know, there's lots of torture scenes in and all the rest of it. But it, I mean, it was based on Sadi Yasef's um, book, which was kind of his sort of auto- autobiography, if you like, about his campaign in Algeria. And to this day, it's still cited as one of the most polit- best political films ever made.
1: And then just in terms of why you've chosen this as your favourite, do you like the performance in, performances yeah. in it or is it as a piece of film or is it because of its consequence? All of it.
0: All of it, all of it. I mean, the performances in it are very, I mean, they didn't use professional actors, like so it's very real, it's okay. very intense. The way that it was shot as well is almost like a documentary. And then the impact of it as well, the people are still talking about it 40, 50 years after the fact. I mean, you can go watch it on Prime Video right now. Like, It is brilliant. But well, don't
1: go now because... I oh, don't go ready. now, obviously,
0: yeah. <laughs> but I'm saying, like, later today, if you're looking for something that's on Prime Video, go watch it. It's definitely worth it.
1: OK, so we are going to have a quick clip now of the President's Men. Oh, I can't tell
0: you that, but you could
1: tell me that. No, I have to do this my way. You tell me what you know, and I'll confirm. I'll keep you in the right direction if I can, but that's all. Just follow the money. That's a classic mm, line. Why did you choose that one?
0: I think the contemporary nature of it. I mean, Watergate happened in seventy two. Woodward and Bernstein had their book out in seventy four, and this was in cinemas in nineteen seventy six. So it was really a case of very much on the cusp of it. I think the way that William Goldman uh, scripted it was very much in the style of a thriller. Like the scenes with Deep Throat when he's meeting him in the car park and Redford's talking to him. It's very tense. But also as well, it got through. I think the procedural nature of it, the fact that this was worked on. Over time, they got it wrong, they had to go back. But then also as well, you have the political element of it as well, which was Bernstein was like meeting these people, trying to get them to coax it out of them. And then the, I suppose the web of you, like the web of lies that kind of sprung out from the White House, I think is something that's still talked about to this day.
1: Yeah, it's a great movie, even mm. if it were not true, but also maybe as much about journalism as it is. It is, yeah. Politics, it's, it's, yeah.
0: It's a kind of on the cusp between a journalism film and political Well, film. look,
1: Brian, they were all... Absolutely fantastic recommendations, and there's lots there for us to uh, get stuck into if the weather turns. That was Brian Lloyd, who's media, a movies editor for entertainment.ie. Brian, thanks very much for Thank being you. with us today. On the record with
0: Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at 11.
1: Brought to you by PWC, a dedicated private business team built around you. It all adds up to the new equation on News Talk.